continue with the section in which we find sri ramakrishna is visiting vidyasagar so sri ramakrishna's conversation is going on so we will start from the section from where we ended the last portion which we read was sri ramakrishna's words chaitanya deva set out on a pilgrimage to southern india one day he saw a man reading the gita another man seated at a distance was listening and weeping his eyes were swimming in tears chaitanya deva asked him do you understand all this the man said no reverse sir i don't understand a word of the text then why are you crying asked chaitanya the devotee said i see arjuna's chariot before me i see lord krishna and arjuna seated in front of it talking i see this and i weep so as we were indicating in the last class that the scriptures as such has no value unless it leads to realization unless it leads to devotion it's not meant for mere academic knowledge it's not meant for intellectual gymnastics it's not meant for Uh, just developing the skills of argumentation it's the index by which we can attain god it speaks of devotion so here we find that though the person apparently appears that he is ignorant about the scriptures he understands nothing of the scriptures but just by hearing someone reading the bhagavad gita he can immediately visualize the background of it the scene where bhagavan is instructing arjuna who is in distress and seeing that immediately he can link he can get identified in emotion as if with arjuna as if he is in presence of the divine he is assured of the fact that whenever he is in distress god is with him and this actually is the thing this visualization results in the welling of emotion exuberant devotion and what else is wanted the scriptures have no value apart from that so the study of the scriptures is to develop love for god and dispassion for worldly life and this devotee has attained that so what else is needed so now we will again proceed with the words of sri ramakrishna why does a vigyani 
keep an attitude of love toward God? The answer is that eye consciousness persists. It, does, it disappears in the state of samadhi, no doubt, but it comes back. In the case of ordinary people, the eye never disappears. You may cut down the ashwatha tree, but the next day sprouts shoot up. Even after the attainment of knowledge, this eye consciousness comes up. Nobody knows from where. You dream of a tiger, then you awake, but your heart keeps on palpitating. All our suffering is due to this I. So here we find, again, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of the realization which has taken you to Samadhi. Not only Samadhi, most probably it has taken you beyond the domain of the ego. But as we were indicating that there are three phases of the mind. Our mind is distracted with a lot of effort. Most probably we can get the focus, one-pointedness for the time being. But again, the distraction mode comes and breaks that focus. Why it happens? Because the subconscious mind is still filled with all those distractions, all those distractive thoughts. With my attempt, with the conscious attempt, though for the time being, I am capable of keeping the mind in one thought, but the subconscious mind is very powerful. The latent impressions there, they come up and break that concentration. We all have experienced that. But the same thing happens when I have already concentrated my mind. My mind has become one-pointed. Ishta vritti, the, cho, the vritti, the each and every pulsation of your mind speaks of God consciousness. That's the ishta vritti. Each and every pulsation of our mind, each and every vritti of our mind speaks of God consciousness. But that's the state from where, as we have indicated, you cannot stay in that state for long. If we really can develop that state where my mind is intently thinking of one thought, know it for certain, that will take you to the state of thoughtlessness by the dissolution of the ego. With the help of psychology, as we, have, we were trying to understand again and again how it happens, that when I am focused in one thought, when I'm focused in one thought, what happens? the other things falls off from my mind. The more the mind is concentrated in one object, the more I will find the mind loses the capacity to process all other informations. Because most of the mind is taken away by the object of my concentration. First, the external distraction falls off. And then we find even the bodily feelings, they start falling off. We have experienced in our life, when I am doing something with full concentration, I forget about my hunger, I forget about my thirst, I forget the need to sleep, I forget tiredness. We find there's those who are passionate about something. It may be some game like, it may be some sports like skiing, or it may be surfing. 
you will find it needs tremendous concentration or it may be absorption in some instrumental music or vocal or any other performing arts or even a surgeon performing a surgery. Wherever that focus is required, you find that what to speak of the external distractions, even all the bodily feelings, all the bodily feelings, they also start falling off. But a small portion of the mind that speaks of the ego, which keeps my sense of this limited individuality intact, that it is I who am meditating. When the focus becomes so intense that even that small portion of the mind, that optimal portion of the mind, which with which the ego is kept intact, the sense that I am this psychophysical in, uh, existence, that also is taken away. That's where that ego falls off for the time being. Your mind gets totally absorbed in the object of consciousness, in the object of your meditation. You become as if one with the object of meditation. That's the idea of Triputi Bheda, where Dhyana, Dhyata, Dhyaya, these three distinctions falls off. Dhyana, the process of meditation, Dhyata, the one who is meditating, and Dhyaya, the object of meditation. This triad collapses. You become one with the object of meditation. That's the Triputi Bheda in our scriptures, which has been defined as Samadhi. When you reach that state, the ego is not there. The portion of the mind which is required to keep your ego intact, that also has been taken away where object of concentration. But know it for certain. Now your subconscious mind is filled with the God consciousness. The distractions have vanished. You have cleansed them with the practice of one-pointedness. But this one-pointedness is the thing which is there in your subconscious mind, saturating it. So the same way, when I try to focus my mind as a novice, the distractions break my one-pointedness. Similarly here, you cannot stay as if for infinite, for infinitude in that state of flow where you have become one with the object of meditation and the ego has fallen off. The ego do comes back, but with the, with its association with the God, with the God consciousness, the distraction has fallen off. So it do come back. So it cannot, it would just totally annihilate the ego is something which is very difficult. Those who have developed tremendous dispassion, those who doesn't want to even come back to the state of God consciousness. They try again and again to merge in that state of flow where the ego has dissolved at last to merge the ego totally. It's only by the will of God for a few that happens. But for most of us, even if we reach that flow, we do come back to the sense of ego, but that ego is now ripened. It has transformed. It cannot with that ego, I can never think of doing something which is crude, which is sensual. If someone says that I have reached Samadhi, so I am beyond Dharma. The scriptures say the one who has attained Samadhi is beyond Dharma. And sometimes we are fooled by some of the so-called charlatans, this, the, the so-called those who feign to be the spiritual guru and say that 
don't try to follow me or imitate me. I have raised realization. My way of life, you shouldn't try to follow. I can have all sorts of things. Know it for certain, he's fooling you. It Because samadhi is possible only when we have cleansed the mind and the subconscious mind is having only one pulsation of thought and that speaks of God consciousness. You can never go to the basic things. And what is meant by going beyond dharma, going beyond the religion? You have to understand it in the correct perspective. Going beyond religion means something totally different. Transcending religion means something totally different. It doesn't mean that I can do anything. What it means now, in the present state of my existence, I find that my mind is wavering. My impulses is dragging me to do something which is not prescribed by religion or morality. So I have to keep myself bound within the religion with a conscious attempt, with my will force. For the man of realization, the evil has already fallen off. Goodness has become spontaneous. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, an adept dancer need not have to calculate his steps. He has become adept dancer. When he, even when he's talking to someone, naturally his or her leg falls in rhythm. So there's no question that he goes out of rhythm. He doesn't have to attempt it consciously. So here also the same thing that the transcending religion means that. That doesn't mean that I have the right to do anything. That my goodness has become so spontaneous that there is no question of falling back. So I need not have to be alert of what I'm doing. Goodness has become a spontaneity. The example which we give that of transcending religion in the hostel, I was there for such a long time looking after the students. So we have a very, very punctual routine. The morning they have to wake up, the discipline that they have to go to the prayer. They have to, uh, after the ablutions, they go for prayer. They have their small time for some physical exercise, then the breakfast, then study hours. The throughout the day, from morning till evening, it's all bound within the routine, discipline. Why? Because most of the students do have the inclination for thousands of distracted, uh, the, the distractive modes of uh, their engagements. There are so many distractions are there for them. We find that if we leave them, uh, if them leave them alone, they won't study at all. All those distractions will be constantly disturbing them. They will be totally dissipated, they disintegrated. So the routine is there for them. But there are a few students who have developed the knack for studies. They like to study. Now, isn't it that they, uh, those, those who have liked, those who have developed the liking for study, are they not following the routine? They're following the routine. But we know it for certain that routine as such has no meaning for them. Even if the routine was not there, they would be punctual because they have developed the love for study. We have kept the routine for the, for the most of the students, for the general student. But those few who have developed the love, they have transcended the routine. That doesn't mean that they don't follow the routine. They're following the routine, but it is happening spontaneously because of their liking for the studies. They don't have to do it consciously. So that's what is meant by transcending the religion. So now let us go back to the discussion that Vigyani, though he ha has went to the state of egolessness by entering into that state of flow, 
where ego has totally fallen off. He has become totally identified with the divine. He do come back because his subconscious mind is full of that one thought of God consciousness. That breaks that state of thoughtlessness. With the ego, again, he comes back. But this ego is the ripened ego that is always associated with the divine. So now let us again go back to the words of Ramakrishna. You will find that it's that what he's saying has such a profound meaning. That why does a Vigyani keep an attitude of love toward God? The answer is that I consciousness persists. It disappears in the state of Samadhi, no doubt. But it comes back. In the case of ordinary people, the I never disappears. You may cut down the Ashwatha tree. This ordinary people, why he's saying that as we were saying, they, there are a few who develop the Paravairagya and try to go even beyond the state of I con- this God consciousness. No, there's no coming back to the state of thought. They go to the thoughtlessness state and merge in that just like a salt doll trying to find the depth of the ocean, falls on the ocean and merges. There are a few, but for most, though you have reached the state of Samadhi, but we do come back. So that's in case of ordinary people, the eye never disappears. You may cut down the Ashwatha tree, but the next day sprouts shoot up. In the old buildings, you will find Sri Ramakrishna in some other place gives the example. The Ashwatha trees have came out from the cracks and fissures of the walls of the old building. You go and cut it of, of no avail. The roots are so deep rooted that again within a few days you will find the sprouts are coming. So ego is something like that, that you may cut, but from nowhere again it comes. So even after the attainment of knowledge, this I consciousness comes up. You have, you have merged, but when you come back, it comes back. Nobody knows from where. And then Sri Ramakrishna is giving an example. You dream of a tiger, then you awake. And you understand that you, it was a dream, but your heart beats still, heart keeps on palpitating. All our suffering is due to this I. So each and every line is so profound. That this I, from where it came, in Yoga Sutra, they say there are pancha klesha, five kleshas. The five klesha means affliction. Keshla means suffering. There are five sufferings. What are those five sufferings? Avidya, Asmita, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. They're sequential. Each follows the one, the first, the uh, uh, successor follows the predecessor. First comes the causal, the, the cause of all suffering is avidya, ignorance. What is the ignorance? That the Purusha, the conscious principle, somehow gets reflected in the Prakriti. And seeing the reflection in the Prakriti, getting identified with the Prakriti, the ego develops. That, what is the ego? The seeing its reflection in the body-mind complex, it starts thinking, I am this body-mind complex. So from ignorance, the Purusha is not the body-mind complex. Seeing its reflection in the psychophysical being, the sense that I am this limited being, the non-local consciousness now becomes local. That is the state of the disease. Now he says, I am this body-mind complex. The asmita has developed from avidya. And now the other option, this, uh, this uh, shoots of suffering. 
What are the offshoots of suffering? The next three, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. Raga means attachment, dvesha, hatred, aversion, and abhinivesha. It means tremendous attachment to life, which in uh, turn speaks of fear of death. Why this happens? That once you think I am this body-mind complex, seeing the reflection there, you are not that body-mind complex. Now the question of nurturing it comes. Even a small micro in a petri dish, that example which we give again and again, that biology teacher asked us to look through the microscope in the petri dish and ask, are there any living beings there? We see so many randomly moving particles. The dust, it appears all are dust particles. The teacher says all are not dust particles. Among them, some are living. They have life. To prove it, what he does, he just, just uh, puts a drop of nutrient in the center of the petri dish and then asks again to look through the microscope. Now you will find among all those so-called randomly moving particles, a few have gathered direction. They're moving towards the nutrient. This is Raga. The moment that sense of I has came, that I am this body-mind complex. Now to, I have to nurture it because this is me. To nurture that, whatever sustains it, I'm moving towards it. Dvesha, instead of, if in place of some nutrient, I keep some toxin, the direction will be just the opposite. They will move away from it. This speaks of Dvesha. Hatred, that the thing which is going to harm me, I hate, I try to get rid of it. But sometimes the thing which I hate is so powerful, I simply cannot get rid of it. I myself have to run away from it. That speaks of fear of death, running away from the cause of all the so-called disintegrating factors. That is abhinivesha, tremendous clinging to life. And are there any cause of suffering apart from this raga, dvesha, abhinivesha? Tremendous at attachment speaks of suffering because the object of attachment, if somehow I don't get it, it is withdrawn from me. It is invariably going to cause suffering. All the suffering is because of these kleshas, avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. From asmita, Raga, Dvesha, Vinivesha sprouts. So that's why I is the cause of all suffering. Just see how that simple one line, the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, not a single sentence is there where you won't find the reference to the scriptures. All our suffering is due to this I. So this I, so as we were discussing, so now Sri Ramakrishna in his own way, in his simple words, is giving an example. The, cra the cow cries hamba, which means I. Hum, hum. In Hindi, hum means me. I. Hamba. means the sound. When the cow is making that, when it cries, that so sound is something like hamba, hamba. So Sri Ramakrishna is saying that the cow cries hamba, which means I. In Hindi, hum means I. So which means I. That is why it suffers so much. Because constantly it is saying, I, I, I. It has now to go through a lot of suffering. 
for lives together as if that is the suffering is being explained that how tormenting that suffering can be it is yoked to the plow and made to work in rain and sun then it may be killed by the butcher from its hide shoes are made and also drums which are mercilessly beaten still it does not escape suffering at last strings are made out of its entrails to, uh, to be used uh, you know in the carding for carding cotton it is used in the bows in the olden days now i don't know how many of of course uh, of the older generation most many of you have seen in the olden days in india you know to make the mattress or the quilt you have to fluff the you make the cotton fluffy so those who used to make these uh, uh, quilts and mattresses they will just go from door to door asking do you need to uh, have some new quilt and if you need they 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 have they will have the bag of cotton they will start that fluffing of the cotton with the help of the string which has been made off the entrails of the dead cow and very interesting that when you just uh, uh, go or when, when in the process of fluffing the cotton whether you have to just go on that uh, you say that stressing the string you have to go on pressing the string along with the cotton and that when you press the string a sound comes which is something similar to tuhu tuhu so ramakrishna is saying that in hindi tu tu means you tuhu tuhu means tuhu tuhu means tu tu that means you dau dau so to for that string so much suffering has already been entered the cow was killed before before being killed it was yoked to the plow it was made to work in rain and sun and then in the hands of the butcher it was killed from its hide the shoes were made the drums were made and at last from the entrails when this bows the strings of the bows of the carding for carding cotton uh, is being made then the sound of tuhu tuhu comes so all the suffering do have meaning it is through all the suffering which we go through at last that realization comes that it's the plan of the divine that if because of ignorance uh, that this so that we are going from life to life from life after life we are going through this process of this what do you say this the various of this incarnated various beings in the various forms as various animals we are taking so many lives to all this experience at last the realization comes there's a sense that i am doing everything that sense of i that has to fall off that because of ignorance the moment that i came immediately nature took hold of us and the nature was making us dance in its own rhythm the moment we get ignorant but the moment you understand that the moment you recognize that it is after all the play of maya it is fooling me you just have to recognize immediately the maya will run away maya ke chinte parli maya paliye jaye sri ramakrishna the gospel some other places saying the moment you recognize maya it will run away he used to 
say a very nice story that the children were all playing among themselves and an elderly person who was the uncle were related to those children. That uncle thought of just playing some prank with the children. So what he did, he just uh, wore a bear skin, just hiding himself in the mask of a bear. And he comes in and tries to frighten the children. All get scared, panic. They're running here and there, shouting, thinking that real bear has come. And then one of the small girls recognize. He says, oh, you're my uncle. And the moment the girl says that you're my uncle, immediately she remo he removes the mask because now there is no need. He has been recognized. So the moment you recognize Maya, it will remove its mask till you have not recognized. It will make you suffer as long as the I persists. This avidya, uh, because of avidya, because of ignorance, the I is still there. This raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, attachment, hatred, and tremendous clinging to life is bound to make us suffer till we recognize that it is the Paramatma, whom I say as the God, the divine, it is he who is playing his role. Means in Shankhya, Prakriti is apart from Purusha, but in Vedanta, it is the Lord whose is Prakriti, from him the Prakriti has emanated. So there is no question of making the Prakriti the villain. Their Prakriti is the Shakti Rupini, the mother. It is the same, the same Purusha is being projected as Prakriti. So once I recognize that and know that it is a God who is playing through thousands of bodies, then, then and then alone, I can go beyond the suffering. As we told that the story that, that God is playing book cricket, that in the Vedanta, it is not that uh, Prakriti is separate from Purusha. When I was in hostel, uh, in Ramakrishna Mission hostel, I had the impression that all the students are very sincere. They do appear to be very sincere. During the study hours, they are reading sincerely, it appears. But you have to have a very intent, you have to watch them very intently. Sometimes you will find some very queer thing happening. That there the textbook is open, and they are having some notebook by their side and they're now and then they're writing something. At the beginning, you may find as if you may, if you're not looking very intently, the impression is as if they're taking some notes, but actually it's not so. If they're taking notes, they won't be turning the pages and again, putting it back. If you look intently what they're doing, you will find they're turning the page as if seeing the page number, writing something, again, doing the same thing and again, writing something. So if you can conspicuously go near them, you will find what is, is a very interesting thing. That's, uh, that used to be known as the book cricket. What's that? When, you, when the book is open, if you turn the page, you know, on the, the facing page, the page which, you, uh, which is the flat, the facing page, not the page which you have turned, that are generally the even numbers. It either will be zero or two or four, ending with zero or two or four or six or eight. Suppose when you turn the page, it is 20. So next page will be 21. That is that one which you have already turned. So next is 22. The turn to turn 23, that will be 24. So these are eight. Again, you turn, it will be 26. Again, you turn, it will be 28. Then again, zero, 30. So 
the page number is bound to end by this five options, zero, two, four, six, and eight. Now, there is a very interesting game. So there is a two teams which have uh, written, the Indian team and say the Australian team. All the players' name are written. If India is bowling, then when they turn the page for the batsman, if the page number ends with two, then the batsman has scored two runs. If it ends with four, he has scored a boundary. If it ends with six, he has scored an over boundary. If it is eight, there is no score called eight. That means he has scored a single and zero means out. So now he has the entire, all the scores which is needed along with getting out. So now what he's doing is just turning the page and there are two teams he's playing the cricket just by turning the page, it's not studying. So now there's the interesting thing that when we found out, then this analogy came in our mind. What is that? The God is doing the same thing. This, all the characters like you, me and all, it's not all separate segregated existence. It is the God who has become me, it has become you, he has become everything. All these interactions, all the things which are going on is as if the game, but who is playing? Is a God who is playing through all these characters, just as the two teams with all the players in the book cricket are none other than the one who is playing the book cricket. It is his imagination has created and is playing. Similarly, God is playing through all of us. So it is God alone who is being projected as his entire existence. The entire world is his Leela. Why he is doing, we can never know. But it is the God who is playing through the universe. So when you know that, then you're bound to have that sense of to who. It is you who are doing. The ego falls off. And then the sense of surrender comes. I'm not no more frightened. If God is doing everything, then where is the question of trying to save me from the perils? It is he who is, he is he has willed such. If I'm going through happiness, it's good, but it is God's will that I go through this step. So a total sense of resignation has come. So that avidya from the, the from the asmita is still there, but raga dvesha abhinivesha has fallen off because that I is now linked with the divine. Oh Lord, it is your game. Whatever is happening in my life, it is your will. So, so the suffering vanishes doesn't mean that may, most of us become devotee to get rid of suffering. Oh God, save me from all the suffering that uh, give me wealth, give me position in life so that I need not have to suffer. I need not fall sick. So getting rid of suffering does not mean that you get beyond all the suffering. The suffering is still there. But it you have transcended them. That the life goes on with its duality. Sometimes you will be in a very so-called prosperous mode, happy mode. Sometimes you will be in a very dejected mode. But when you know it's the God who, whose play is going on, they you will be totally detached from them. You will be just witnessing them, knowing it for certain. It is a God who is playing through you. So that's the what is being indicated as to who to who. That everything is by God's will happening. As we always say, that the love which the mother finds for the child is something which is being implanted by God. 
all the altruism is being implanted in our heart if we ever if we never felt compassion would you ever feel like giving even a single pence to anyone but that compassion which wells is it something my credit i find that automatically if i see suffering compassion comes we are made in such a way so who did it god has implanted that daya in us it is not mine so just see how we can get rid of the ego sahayagya praja srishto that in bhagavad gita that shloka is there when he created he created with yagya yagya doesn't mean fire sacrifice yagya means interrelatedness in fire sacrifice if you take it literally what we are doing we offer something to the fire the fire god the fire god takes our oblation with the fire always moves up takes our oblation to the other deities for whom it has been offered why we are offering so in return the god gives us rain god gives us good weather so that we can cultivate the land and there is prosperity so it's a question of interdependence that i offer something to god in turn god gives me something that's the idea of yagya so if you leave out just the physical aspect the real idea is interdependence so when in gita bhagavad gita bhagwan says sahayagya praja srishtva the meaning is when god created this creation he did it along with yagya this interdependence that is the real sense of yagya yagya if you just take as fire sacrifice it was its its idea gets very limited so with this idea of interdependence he has created the world through us we are the instrument through which he is working so when this hamba hamba goes the sense that i am the doer this ego has fallen off then only you can go beyond the suffering because with that resignation the sense of witness comes if god is doing everything through me and there is no question of suffering in life once you know that god is doing something through you and that you in real the real you can never die it is the soul you are the atma god is the paramatma you are eternal god is eternal and your relationship is eternal when you know that once all the suffering is bound to vanish the life can become a real excitement an expedition an adventure just to give an example when you know uh, that in the roller coaster the children you go, go for this uh, amusement parks and there is the roller coaster it apparently is very, it appears to be so dangerous the sharp turns and suddenly it will take you up and almost at 90 degree it will just make you fall and take you round at very sharp angles the children will scream shout they as if are very much panicked but they will again and again insist please again just pay some money i want to go back there again if it is have full of so much peril what gives the thrill the children know it for certain even the parents know it for certain it has been designed in such a way that though each and every moment i feel that i am in peril nothing is going to happen to me and that creates the sense of adventure if i know nothing can annihilate me all sufferings in of life can become as adventurous as a roller coaster and that's the idea mr ramakrishna is trying to say with these words tuhu tuhu when i becomes that when that i vanishes and you know it is a god who is playing through us 
It is his lila. That's why it is called lila. Lila means sport. If life is full of suffering, then how can it be God's lila? It is is God some uh, something that uh, what you say that uh, sadist that he is enjoying the suffering? No, it is he who has become everything. And it is all these so-called apparent perils are uh, knowing from the very uh, the God knows that nothing can annihilate him or his projection, which is being finding expression as the jivas. Nothing can annihilate. So everything becomes just a mere game play. Swami Vivekananda used to give a very nice example that when the two puppies are fighting, the mother dog is just lying down with apart in no way interested in what the puppies are doing. It allows the puppies to fight. The puppies are very, very, very serious about the fight. They're thinking that I will kill the other, but the mother is just lying. It knows it is all childish. Swami Vivekananda is giving that example and that fits in with our existence. Sometimes we think God is sadist. It's actually total different level of awareness. From his level of awareness, all our fights, quarrels, this war, weapons, destruction is just like the fight of the puppies. She knows very well, nothing is going to kill them. Let them fight for some time. The real me is never going to be killed. So when the tuhu tuhu comes, oh God, it is your game, whether it is some prosperity or it is some uh, danger, peril, I know that I am not going to be annihilated. It is you who are playing with the universe through me. Let the game go on. I am your playmate. We all become sakha then. So now that's the idea that tuhu tuhu comes, then only all the trouble goes. We have to learn it through the experiences of life. So let us read these lines again, few more. So Ramakrishna's these words are so simple, but you will find it's so profound. The cow cries hamba, which means I. That is why it suffers so much. It is yoked to the plow and made to work in rain and sun. Then it may be killed by the butcher from its hide. Shoes are made and also drums, which are mercilessly beaten or laugh. Still, it does not escape suffering. At last, strings are made out of it, of its entrails. Uh, and the bows are used in carding cotton. Then it no longer says hamba hamba. What it says now, but tuhu tuhu, thou thou. Only then all its troubles are over. Oh Lord, I am the servant, thou art the master. I am the child, thou art the mother. So, very interesting. You know, the, all the religious traditions speaks of the same thing. Now, there's a very interesting story in the life of Guru Nanak. Very good, very interesting story. He was just a teenager when his first realization came. It was not through meditation. So, realizations can be sometimes when it comes, we don't know. It's all God's grace. Even from some mundane worldly experience, the realization can come. Guru Nanak, as a teenager, was asked by his parent to go to the market to buy something. So when he asked for the price, the shopkeeper told, this 13 rupees. In 13 in Hindi is Tera. Tera. And hearing that word Tera, immediately Guru Nanak, as a small young boy, was transported. The Tera is 13, and that same little difference in pronunciation means Tera yours. 
everything is yours and that took him to a transportation first realization came that way that lord everything is yours so this is the thing with sri ramakrishna the once that realization comes the life becomes a full surrender nothing can now make you suffer the suffering vanishes the you transcend suffering the suffering still is there for so the other from the others may look it as suffering but for you you know it for certain it's no more suffering it's all god's play through you so once rama asked now let us go back to ramakrishna's words once rama asked hanuman how do you look on me and hanuman replied oh rama as long as i have the feeling of i i see that thou art the whole and i am a part thou art the master and i am thy servant but when o rama i have the knowledge of truth then i realize that thou art i and i am thou it's a very 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 significant sloka which sri ramakrishna actually is translating what's that sloka very interesting when rama asked hanuman that what do you think of me how you look upon me hanuman who is called buddhimatam varishta he is the wisest among the wise his reply was really something wonderful what he told deha buddhya dasoham as long as i have the feel, feeling that i am this body mind complex deha buddhi deha buddhya dasoham as long as i have the sense that i am the body i have the i my attitude towards it you is that you are the master i am the servant as long as i have the feeling of the body the attitude towards you is i am the servant you are my master jiva buddhya tavangshaka and when i am bit what you say that uh, above the body feeling that i feel that i am the mind jiva is the mind why the mind what is the jiva that which transmigrates is the jiva that with this physical body may die but the jiva is still existing the one with a subtle body the atman uh, in, uh, what do you say encoded as, as if coated with that subtle body is the jiva the jiva is the one which is transmigrated thus this the jiva is actually the mind the subtle body is the mind so as the mind when i am established in the mind when i am established in the mind even in meditation as we told always say that when you enter into a state of flow when the bodily feelings have fallen off you are in you are constantly contemplating of the divine only you are there and god is there then you are identified with the mind the sense of body has fallen off so you are related to the divine with devotion so then you are jiva because you are totally absorbed in your mind it soaks it is so deep absorption you have forgotten your hunger thirst your tiredness your the need to sleep all those has fallen off so though the body is there as if it is not there so you are established in your jivahood in the mind so when in that state my attitude towards is what tavangshaka that you are the whole i am just a part of it and when the jivabuddhi that my absorption in the divine that contemplation lead to the fall of the ego when the ego is also obliterated i become as if one with you then i am the spirit 
देहबुद्धि You know, in Vedanta there are so many vadas. One is called Srishti Drishti Vada. So first came the creation, then me. The creation happened, and through the process of evolution, life evolved. At last, I am the human being with all my senses. I'm looking out to the creation, which was far, far ahead of me. So Srishti comes first, then comes Drishti. i have to be a sentient being to has to see so according to srishti drishti vada we will find that in there the question of duality comes the creation is there i came later how the question of duality comes when you look at the srishti as something separate from you that all this creation at last has resulted in you if you are even a bit intelligent even if you are a scientist forget about a religious person you will find they call it anthropic principle that today we are sitting here discussing the gospel of sri ramakrishna was planned just at the prior moment of the big bang you may say whatever this first thing we are saying no because nothing is accident when the big bang happened it was just a calculated force if it was little the force was bit greater everything would have been dispersed galaxies wouldn't have formed there wouldn't have been any creation if the force was little less everything would have been because of gravitation everything would have been pulled back a black hole would have formed there would have been no creation the force was just exact to make the creation possible now you may say that was an accident it happened but now if you just see the atomic forces you know there there are only four types of forces at last the strong nuclear force the weak nuclear force uh this magnetic and the gravitation electromagnetic and the gravitation force so we need not go to the details what is this weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force we say that positive charges repel and uh, opposite charges attract so the neutron there's sorry the protons and the electrons are attracting each others protons by themselves will be repelling each other but have you ever thought within the nucleus all the protons are packed together and they're staying there together they're supposed to explode out but they are all staying there together how is it possible so the science says when this subatomic particles are too near means very close then instead of repelling they will be attracting 
that is a strong nuclear force. So within the nucleus, the, all the so-called protons are packed together because of the strong nuclear force. Compared to that, the moment you go apart by a little distance, then the question of attraction comes and the repulsion, the attraction of the opposite force comes and the repulsion of the same force comes. That is the weak nuclear force. So that's how the electrons which are revolving around the uh, nucleus, that is actually happening because of the weak nuclear force. Now there has to be a particular ratio between the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force to make the atom possible. Otherwise atoms would have been, wouldn't have been formed. As we know that they say got particles and all what, there is the particles are forming and dissipating. Unless you have that, the science is not that easy. It is just for the lay person, we are just speaking in as easy terms as possible. That when there the ratio of the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force is exact, then only the hydrogen helium, the preliminary atom starts forming. And of course, after that, the other atoms. When that ratio is not there, then what's that ratio? It's very interesting again. If it was a bit less, atoms wouldn't have been formed. If it is a bit more, atoms wouldn't have been formed. So just see that one accident has been followed by precisely by another accident. And if you go, if you just, if you're a physicist, you will find millions of such accidents has happened one after the other. You come down to the earth. The earth's gravity is such, the earth's size and the gravity is such. If it was a bit larger, it would have in its atmosphere, we would have heavier gases with which life wouldn't have been possible. If its gravitation was a bit less, only hydrogen and helium would, would be there. Even oxygen will be, uh, cannot be stay in the atmosphere. Then again, life is not possible. The gravitation is just which is uh, required for life. The tilt, the 23 and half degree, the North Pole, if the tilt was a bit more perpendicular, the light rays from the sun would have been more perpendicular. The earth would be tremendously heated. Life wouldn't have been possible. If the tilt was a bit more, again, life is not the, the more oblique the light is, the planet will become cold. Life is not possible. So like, and now come to the life, the life itself, the way the horm there's hormones and enzymes are secreted, exact amount, little more, little less, you are no more there. With entire, with, after learning a little science with, with pride, we say there is no God, just to say that there is no God. So many accurate chemistry is going on within your body, just to say there is no God. It has to go on within that. So now you say the Srishti is first, you are observing at the Srishti. If you can really look at it, what has happened, you will find so many accidents, which apparently appeared as accidents, has happened one after the other in exact, if it was a little uh, more or less, creation wouldn't have been possible. Even within your body, the way the hormones, enzymes, it's exact to maintain that isotropy there, that homeostasis is maintained that way. Everywhere we find that that wonderful balance one after the other. This speaks of the anthropic principle, that as if it was planned, it is designed, it is not a chaos. So it speaks of something much larger than life, which has designed the creation. So I am just a servant. He is the one who is the master. It is his will, everything is happening. So from this, Srishti Drishti Vada, 
he speaks of the duality and there you relate to the divine through devotion you are the master i am the servant so deha buddhya dasoham jeeva buddhya tavaangshaka we will take from this portion again in the next class you will find how nicely this dualism qualified non dualism and non dualism are the three different perspectives from three perspectives when you are looking at the same truth it appears to be different and that's what hanuman is saying what a nice sloka is this and that's sri ramakrishna is referring to here that once rama asked hanuman how do you look on me and hanuman replied oh rama as long as i have the feeling of i i see that thou art the whole and i am a part thou art the master and i am the servant but when oh rama i have the knowledge of truth then i realize that thou art i and i am thou so this there's three aspects we have to, we will deal with it you will find it's quite interesting so we will again take up from this portion again in the next class we will just today we try to understand the dualistic uh, the, that is why in sanskrit very interesting we loosely translate the word darshana as philosophy darshan is not philosophy in we all know in indian language darshana means to see so actually darshana means perspective from my perspective what i say is correct from your perspective what you say is correct the same building when i am looking from east may have total different picture when i take the photo from the east it was totally different from what i take from the west but does it mean it is two different uh, building no same building the perspective from which which angle of vision you are looking at it so here the word darshana means that it is not that i am denying you that me from my perspective what i say is this so from the dualistic perspective that when i think that i am the deha then you are the master i am the servant when i am the jiva when i am get identified with the mind then i am your part again that you will find is very interesting even with the modern science with the modern psychology we can understand that spiritual realization of course take us to that realization but for us to have an intellectual conviction we can resort to the modern science with the modern psychology to find that how jiva buddhya tavangshata and atma buddhya tamevaham that portion we will again take up again in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today namaskars thank you all